Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Fisher Investments Market Insights Podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. My name is Naj Srinivas, Corporate Communications Vice President here at the firm, and I'm joined today by Research Manager Brad Piles. Thanks for having me, Naj. Thanks for being here. Brad, today we wanted to talk a little bit about natural disasters. We've obviously had a number of earthquakes in Mexico recently, likewise a number of hurricanes that have hit the eastern seaboard. Um, I can't even remember all the names right now, Harvey, Irma Maria. A lot of clients these days are asking us questions like, what are the impacts of these hurricanes on the stock market or earthquakes on the stock market? Do they have an impact? Um, are there opportunities there to invest? What are your just general thoughts about these? And maybe we can go through some other questions afterwards. Absolutely. They're very understandable questions given the social impact that these types of events have. Obviously, if you're one of the people involved or you're in the path of one of these disasters, it, it truly is that, a disaster. It can be a terrible event. However, just from a market standpoint, markets tend to be very calloused about these events. They move on very quickly. We have never, and all the ability that we have to go back in time and measure markets, never seen a bear market or a big sustainable downturn or recession caused by a natural disaster. They're just not big enough, not widespread enough, and don't take down the overall global supply chain and global economies. Just never have. And you can go back, all the ones that we've seen this year, which as you said, have been quite a number, um, or even some of the ones that have been bigger in terms of an individual basis, like the Japanese earthquake and tsunami. And if you look at a period like that, I think it's a great example of some of the potential opportunities and the ways that you can look at markets um, surrounding these events. Because in that instance, we saw markets in Japan fall almost 20% that day, almost an immediate reaction. And we said, this is simply too big a reaction. We know that this is not, in terms of historical reality, something that will be sustained. And was actually an opportunity in that case to buy because people had just become too fearful of the event. Now that's pretty rare, as you've seen most, mostly like we saw this year, markets and people from an investment standpoint just kind of move right through it and there were no big dislocations. But if you get one, that's usually an opportunity because we know it doesn't cause bear markets. Otherwise, in terms of opportunities, really the two biggest places that you usually hear people talk about would either be your home improvement type stores, your home depots and so forth, which can get a little bit of a bounce um, because people are spending to help fortify their homes in advance or rebuild after. But it's usually not a big driver for these firms on a global national basis. Um, They're just too big. You hit them in a single city, you you take out all of Tampa Bay, Florida's Home Depots, um, or they always get a bump because you take out the city. It's still a national chain. It's just not big enough that it's going to drive a huge change in their type of revenue structure. And then, too, there's broken windows fallacy, right? The idea that by breaking a window, that might create a job for the window glazer or the window repair person, but that otherwise takes away from money that would have been used productively to do something else or buy something else. Just pulls that consumption a different direction from where it would be going otherwise. Absolutely. And and that's, you know, I think the window fallacy is the perfect way to put that, where 
you know, the idea that you could go around destroying things and then rebuilding them and somehow that would be good for the economy. Uh, it's really the same fallacy, I think, as wars being helpful for driving economies, that we're going to produce all these things, take them out somewhere, blow them up, and that that's going to make us all better off. Um, same thing with, with this, absolutely. You, know, you destroy a bunch of things. It's not good, but it's just on a scale not big enough. And you know, and that's really the key is the scale, because to get that big downturn, you need a couple of trillion dollars to get knocked off a of global GDP. And you look at most estimates for all of these hurricanes and things combined, and you're looking at a couple of hundred billion dollars. You know, Harvey being the biggest estimated losses around that $200 billion mark, and that's about 0.2% of global GDP. Mm -hmm. It's just not that big in the scheme of things. What about the insurers? How are the insurers impacted by all of this? Well, it actually usually is a benefit for them, or at least the ones that stick around. So insurance is actually pretty easy industry to enter into. There's not a lot of barriers to entry, as we say, in our industry. And that means if you have enough money, you can basically go to the regulators, say, I've got a big enough capital buffer, I want to set up shop, and they'll let you do it. And so when there's a lot of capital available in the system, it tends to be very easy to set up a lot of insurance firms, and you see very little pricing power in that industry. When you have these big events, it actually can knock a lot of the small insurers out of business, leaving only the big ones behind without much competition left. So even though they have to make a lot of payouts up front, and you'll often see just in the very near term, their stock prices decline, what follows tends to be a very good time for them in many market conditions, because now a lot of their competition is gone, they end up being able to raise prices a lot, and they benefit a lot moving forward. So obviously one of the big concerns for investors is with all of these big natural disasters and hurricanes, does this have the ability to cause a bear market? And I know you said it doesn't, but if a big natural disaster that could wipe out you know, a city as big as, say, New Orleans in 2006 can't cause a bear market, what can cause a bear market? What, does, what, do, we, what do we look for for that oncoming bear market? Well, there's a couple of things, and this is where I think history starts as a really good guide. You know, we always want to start with history and overlay economic and financial theory to, to create our understandings of what we think will happen and, and how we think reality will shape up perhaps different than, than people's expectations, which is where your opportunities always are in investing. And when we look back at history, there's a couple of very consistent themes for bear markets that we see over time. Um, you can have them caused by trade wars something that interrupts the, the global supply chain of trade, whether that's massive tariffs, like we did with the Smoot-Hawley tariffs going into the Great Depression, or a really large war um, that can also do it, things like in you know, the build-up to World War II, where you really start to see the 1937 bear market begin around the time that Japan invades China, and you start to see that process take place, and then obviously it continues on. Um, so those can be certainly big disruptors. A monetary policy mistake can be a big disruptor if you're, you contract the uh, supply of credit enough. 
And often that can take place by what's called inverting the yield curve or pushing short rates above long rates because banks fundamentally borrow from you and I at short-term deposit rates, take that money and lend it back out at long-term rates, car loans, mortgages, and so forth, and they make the spread. And that's basically what a bank is. So when the short rates get above the long rates, their profit margins are gone. They have very little incentive to lend, and you see lending start to contract and recessions follow. So that's also a key one we've seen over time, regulatory mistakes, whether uh, politicians trying to control prices um, and inflation to things like recently with the mark-to-market accounting uh, in the 2007 bear market and mistakes in the way they've structured um, various rules and regulations. That's also another big one. So really things that end up affecting the way that economies fundamentally act um, certainly can get in the way of a bull market. And then the last one that's really key is euphoria, where you often see people just getting so exuberant, and we sometimes call those bubbles as well, but just really exuberant about markets and about um, some type of new item that they think is going to change the world and they kind of lose track of fundamentals. And that, of course, it makes it really easy to cause a bear market because markets move on that difference in reality and expectations. So you get euphoric, expect fantastic things. It no longer takes a real big negative surprise to disappoint you. I only have to give you okay news. If you're expecting great news, that can cause a pretty uh, significant downside move. And so where are we today with regard to sentiment relative to reality? We feel we're in the optimism phase, that we're on our way towards that euphoric aspect, but not there yet. There's a famous quote uh, that with regards to the progress of bull markets that goes, bull markets are born in pessimism, grow in skepticism, mature in optimism, and die in euphoria. And so as we progress through that, as people become more and more excited, um, you know, that, that's a natural stage for a bull market. And we're starting to get into that optimism or are in that optimism phase in our view. Um, we're starting to see a few more initial public offerings. We're starting to see uh, margin debt start to creep up a little bit. We're starting to see uh, you know, brokerage firms run uh, larger advertising campaigns. We're seeing the cryptocurrencies take off, um, which largely appears to be unfounded. So things that you certainly would not see coming out of a bear market um, when people are more hunkered down and in that state of fear. You really started to see all that begin to percolate up. And the good news from an investment standpoint is, is that run from investment through euphoria to the end, however long that takes, and that likely is quite a ways in front of us still, that usually you have very strong returns through that period. A full 50% or half of the returns of a bull market typically take place in the last third of its duration. So in just that last third of the period of time, you get half your returns, um, and that's what we think we're we're entered into, so a period of very strong returns as that process takes place. 2017 has certainly been a year of pretty strong returns. Absolutely, and we expect that to continue. Well, that's all we have time for today. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. And for all of you listening, thank you. For more, please visit marketminder.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. 
No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2017.